after those words, um, which I thought were absolutely incredible in Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10, where these two ladies, they go to the tomb, and Jesus isn't there because he has risen from the dead. Just imagine what that would have been like. You, you go to take spices, and you're going to mourn the loss of someone that you've followed for three years and you get there and the stone is rolled away and this angel is sat and there's an earthquake and you think, wow, this is, at this, I mean, I don't know, mind-blowing. Jesus is not dead. He is alive from the dead. He is risen. The very foundation of the Christian faith is built on a risen saviour on something miraculous, something absolutely supernatural, something absolutely incredible. And as we encounter him, it is expected, it is um, uh, uh, understandable that there is a, a life change, a complete turn of direction for those that are following him. And this is what he then goes on and says in Matthew 28, verses 16 through to 20. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. It's good, isn't it? It's grace. Gives us room. Gives us room there to not get it all right. Then Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. We're going to be looking um, over the next three weeks at what it is to follow Jesus in a counter-cultural kingdom. If we want to follow Jesus, it means we're going to swim against the tide. It means we're going to look different from those around us. It means it's going to be costly and at times it will be difficult. And one of Jesus' main, main focuses um, when he was here on earth, and particularly during his three years of ministry, was that whole thing of making disciples. In actual fact, he invested a lot of his time into seeing these 12 people grow and develop and become his followers. This small group of men he invested a lot of time into. And in a sense, as he went, he then passed on that responsibility to these, well, by that point in time, 11 men that were following him. That they would do what he had been doing, which was to go and make disciples. And so I want to use these very familiar words in Matthew 28 as a springboard, as a hopefully a challenge, a provocation, not, not actually because of the words I use are sharp, but because the Holy Spirit takes something of what is written here in the Word and makes it live within us. So are you up for that? Why don't we stand? It just gives me a certain degree of certainty that you haven't yet fallen asleep. I just want to pray. Oh, Holy Spirit... Lord, I thank you often when we feel very weak and when things don't work as we want them to. I thank you, Holy Spirit, so often that's because, I don't know, you just want to make us lean a bit more on you. And I ask you this morning, Lord God, would we as a church lean on you? I pray, Holy Spirit, will you come and take the words of Matthew 28 and really make them live within us, I pray. 
Lord, I ask you, Lord God, that for those of us that are feeling very uh, uh, sensitive and broken at the moment, I pray, Lord, that these words will bind us up and give us courage. I pray for those of us that feel we've got it all together and actually there's nothing more that can be added from Matthew 28. I ask you, Holy Spirit, would you come uh, with the surgeon's scalpel and uh, reveal and open up uh, our hearts and implant the seed of your word in there that it may live. I ask you for those of us that have come that are hungry, I pray would you satisfy our souls. Would we have a three-course meal uh, this morning, but we pray more than anything, would your name be glorified, would your kingdom come, Lord, we ask for that in your precious name, Jesus, amen, amen, won't we take our seats, thank you for standing, thank you for praying, I want to take Matthew 28, those last few words, I'm going to split it down into six simple uh, statements that I think are foundational when it comes to firstly being a disciple but secondly being on the mission of making disciples and in a sense that's what we're all called to do. We're called first and foremost to be followers of Jesus, not that just once in the past we made a commitment to Christ but actually on a day-by-day basis we are proactively and intentionally looking to follow Jesus, but actually as well on a day-by-day basis too we're helping others as they look to follow Jesus as well. We're called to be in community. And the first phrase that really stands out to me, and I'm sure it has stood out to you, is it says this, it says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Jesus starts by, in a sense, reminding his followers and reminding us he has all authority so before he commands us gives us specifics before he unpacks it at all he wants us to know actually he is the king of kings he is the lord of lords he is the creator the sustainer of the universe he is now seated in heaven supremely victorious that nothing can stand against him and in that position of absolute authority he speaks to his followers and just reminds us and says all authority has been given to me. And I think that all authority for me has two little application points. The first one is obedience and the second one is confidence. You see, if Jesus has all authority and he's asked us to do something, the only, the only response we can have is faith-filled obedience. So, so for us, as we remember Christ seated in supreme authority, sat at the right hand of the Father, with all things under his feet for the church, the first thing, all authority, is that it actually it requires an obedience from us. We are called to follow him. The second thing is it gives us a confidence that if God has asked us to do something and he has all authority, we can step out with a confidence knowing that he will back us up that he will enable us to do it, that he will give us the tools that we need to do it. So all authority. Second thing is this. He says, go make disciples. He says, go make disciples of all nations. He, 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 he didn't say, come and make uh, 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 attendees. Don't go and make attendees that come along once a week on a Sunday morning. Don't make attendees that maybe come once a month when the wind isn't blowing and the rain isn't pouring down. No, he says, go, he says, go and make disciples. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. It's one that follows Jesus. We're ones that learn from him. Now, I know for many of you, 
we are so familiar with these things. Um, I'm just asking, I'm praying, even as I speak right now, that there will be something fresh uh, that comes from it. Jesus wasn't the only one that had disciples. There would have been many teachers, many scribes who would have had disciples, those that were following them. But in Jesus, we find not just an inspirational teacher or a wise man, we find Emmanuel, God, with us. We find the light of the world. We find the Word who became flesh. We find the Creator. We find the Messiah who takes away the sins of the world. And he says to every single one of you, just like he said to Peter, James and John, he says, come follow me. Come follow me. Discipleship isn't just an issue of salvation it's an issue of lordship it's who are you following who is the king of your life who sat on the throne of your life I think within western culture anyway and 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 maybe even a little bit within our church can I say there is a danger that we we learn lots of things but we don't necessarily do the things that we learn It's like that we attend on a weekly basis, and I can fall into this as much as anyone. We attend on a weekly basis a bit like we might attend our maths lesson when we're at school. And we learn some new stuff, but it pretty much stops there. And maybe even some of us wonder, some of the things that I'm learning, I'm not certain I'm ever going to use it, just like I never think I'm going to use algebra. I'm not totally certain that the stuff I'm going to learn on Sunday, will I use it, won't I use it? But when Jesus said, come follow me, when Jesus says, I want disciples, disciples become like the one teaching there. We're to become like Jesus. For us, it should not be so much about sitting in a maths lesson as learning to drive a car. You know, when you learn to drive a car, okay, you do get a bit of theory, but you, sat, you sit in the driver's seat You learn how the accelerator, the brake, the clutch, the gears work. And at the end of the process, you should be able to drive the car. Now, some of us can do it better than others, can't we, Chloe? Um, (laughs) I love Chloe as well as Paul loves Ros and, you know. (laughs) Has anyone got a spare space at their meal table for lunch today? I'll ask in Bexhill as well. I might get a meal in Bexhill. But, but, but there, can you see there's a fundamental difference between learning in a maths lesson and learning to drive a car. There's a different attitude. There's a different way we do it. We put into practice what we learn. We're, it's hands-on. It's practical. The Christian faith, being a disciple of Jesus, is what we learn here, what we learn in connect groups, what we learn as we read the Bible on our own, we put into practice day by day. We're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Being a disciple doesn't just happen. We're born again in an instant, but we spend a lifetime working it out day by day. We work out that miraculous event one moment at a time. 
There's an illustration in the Bible about us being a lump of clay and God being the potter. And it's mentioned quite a number of times in the Bible. Absolutely brilliant. But when it comes to discipleship, yes, we need to remember the sovereignty of God in it. But we're also told to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. We work with God. We work with the Holy Spirit. We find in discipleship that it's not just an addition to our lives, but what we're expecting is a complete radical transformation from the core. I don't know, are any of you up for a transformation of the heart? That actually in the end our conduct and our lives surpasses even what it says in the Old Testament commandments. That, that is what we're called to do. That is the invitation, come follow Jesus. And you may think, no, 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 I'm sure that's not, it's all grace. And it is the grace of God at work within us, but, but it's, it's more than that. What does, Matt, what does Jesus say in Matthew 5, 6 and 7? It is a radical call to follow Jesus. It is character transformation. It's, it's dealing ruthlessly with the anger in our hearts. It's being impatient with the impatience in our lives. It's, it's, it's throwing out lust and saying, I'm having none of it. This is, this is about heart transformation because I've met with Jesus I've been born again and now I am radically committed to life transformation as the Holy Spirit works in me. There's, there's not a moment to settle as we pursue Jesus um, in the grace of God. What did Jesus say? He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, rip it out. Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Judge not that you will not be judged. It, it requires an intentional outworking. I think if... if Jesus were here preaching, I think, I think we'd be uncomfortable. I think we'd find our hearts being worked upon in, in a level that would cause us to go, oh, I'm squirming a bit in my seat. We would know he loves us and he's for us, but, but there is this call, this cost to following Jesus. Um, something just else about discipleship, it's costly. Not everyone who met Jesus became his disciple because the cost was too high. Nothing can come in the way of discipleship is what Jesus said, wasn't it? Family ties, money, friendship, even persecution are not excuses not to follow Jesus. We find that it's Discipleship is open to all. It's costly, but it's open to all. After Jesus prayed all night, who did he pick to be his first followers? A fisherman, a religious terrorist, and a tax collector. Peter, a volatile disciple who could speak for God one minute and then speak for Satan the next and then crack in front of a servant girl. After three years of Jesus' investment, that, that was the rock on which Jesus is going to build his church. James and John, an angry pair of brothers who wanted to call down fire from heaven. Thomas the doubter, Nathaniel the cynic, Judas the betrayer. Not great raw material. Disciples of Jesus. Anyone can come. Anyone can come. It's costly, but anyone can come. 
There are no hopeless situations. There's no one that is beyond the reach of Jesus Christ. He says, come follow me. It will cost you everything. It's the most amazing thing you can ever do. I noticed as well from that passage in Matthew 28, it's all nations. All nations. This is not just for one group of people, but for every group of people. What started with 11 went to the whole world. Seven billion people on the face of the planet, shouldn't they know the hope that we know? Shouldn't they have the opportunity to choose whether they're going to follow Jesus Christ or not? Should they not hear the gospel? This is to all nations. There's a breadth to this command. Every people group on the face of the planet, maybe you're here right now and you are carrying a passion for a nation, a people group, a language. Maybe, maybe God has planted that seed in your heart because he wants you to serve that community. He wants you to reach that nation. Maybe he, he wants you to start praying for them every single day praying for the French-speaking world. Maybe, maybe at some point in the future, he's going to want you to up sticks and move there. Maybe he's going to want you to reach that community in 1066 country. There's a breadth to it. There is a depth to it. Every people group in 1066 country. We have a passion, a desire to see vibrant, Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-believing churches planted in every corner of 1066 country. So right now, the beautiful guys in Bexhill are going to be starting to worship Jesus. They wouldn't have been two years ago, but they are right now. And they came from you. You gave birth to them. Central St. Leonard's, we're going to see that up and running, um, hopefully this year. That's what we would love to see take place. But where, where else? If you feel God has placed on your heart some people group, can you search them out now in 1066 country? Can you find them here? Can you look to start reaching them now? Because they're just down your street. We have hundreds probably of nations represented in this little geographical area. Could you go to them yet? Could you go to them now? Is, is God placing that? On your heart. This isn't just limited to a few people just like us. I haven't listened to Paul Brown from last week. I heard he was really good. Yeah? It's so much easier to go to people just like us. It doesn't take as much effort. That's not the gospel. Gospel doesn't call us to an easy life, it's a costly life. All nations. All nations. He then goes on, doesn't it, number four, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you were water baptized, you were saying to everyone, I belong to the Trinity. I belong to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the Lord of my life. That is countercultural. That is swimming against the stream. We, we, we like to go with the flow. I want to be Lord of my own destiny. I want to make my own plans. I want to go for what is easiest for me. But when we came to know Christ as our Savior and our Lord, we were saying, actually, 
poor man, you are no longer the king of your life. Comfort can no longer be your God because Jesus Christ is. So therefore, at times, Jesus is going to call me to think things that get me out of my comfort zone. Why? Because I'm following Jesus, not necessarily my own personal desires. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It starts in salvation. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ if you have not been born again. There are some of you here today and you're sort of acting like Christians but you're not followers of Jesus because you haven't yet given your life to follow him. You have not made that definite step of saying, I am a sinner who needs saving. I need a saviour, Jesus Christ. I recognise what you've done for me on the cross. I recognise, I believe you died on the cross. I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again. I am giving my life to you. I may not have all of my questions answered. I may not know all of that, but I know, Jesus, you are real. I know, Jesus, you are here right now. I give my life to follow you. You cannot be a follower of Jesus by adding a few Christian things on the outside. It starts with a radical heart transformation that then grows from the inside out. It's a heart change that we need. But then we need to respond. We need to respond in faith and repentance. We know from the New Testament that Jesus loved faith. Wherever he saw faith, he, he, he just commended it. He encouraged it. He, he was wowed at people's faith. Believe in God. For without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is so critical, but so is repentance. Repentance is another counter-cultural word because within our culture we're much better at blaming other people than we are taking responsibility ourselves. We're much better at saying this is my right and not saying this is my responsibility. So as Christians we need to learn how to repent. We need to learn what it is. Shall I give you some keys to repentance? So if you're going to repent you need to see sin as it is. You need to see it. You need to see something of its ugliness. You need to sorrow at sin. There needs to be something that affects the heart and the emotions. We realise what sin is. It causes us to sorrow. We need to confess it. I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to blame you. I'm not going to say there's mitigating circumstances over there. I have sinned, Jesus. Please forgive me. I've noticed how often it is that in my own heart, when people come and confront me about something, how quick I am to try and drop a shoulder and blame mitigating circumstances rather than just taking it on the chin and exploring my own heart and seeing what in my own heart caused me to react like that. What, what was it? What caused anger to bubble up? Yeah, okay, they may have done that and shouldn't have done it, but why was I angry? What's going on in my own heart that I get so cross with that person driving 22 mile an hour along the ridge? Well, what is it in my heart that causes me to be so impatient about something so minor and unimportant? What's going on in there? I need to see sin, sorrow sin, sorrow at sin, confess my sin. Even And this, this, this will cause a little bit of a stir. Actually, we need to know something of the shame of sin. We don't, certainly don't like shame. We don't actually like shame in Christian culture. But to know something of the shame of sin which leads to a hatred of sin, which leads from a turning from sin and to the Lord. A friend of mine, 
uh, we were talking about the issue of sin. And he said to me, he said, the problem is you don't hate sin. And because you don't hate that sin, you're happy to keep living in it. When you truly hate it, when it's obnoxious to you, you will turn from it. Faith and repentance are building blocks of discipleship. They're building blocks for everyday Christian life. And then, and then um, uh, the, the third one in this is baptism in water. So we've just looked, you need to be truly born again. You need a life filled with faith and repentance. And if you haven't been, you need to be baptized in water. It's a public declaration that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. There's nothing special about the water. But it does have a deep spiritual significance. And it is a real, really big step in growing as a disciple. If you're a follower of Jesus, can I encourage you to get baptised as soon as you can? Come and find Paul who was hosting the meeting at, at the end and say, I want to be baptised at the next opportunity. It's, it's not the first step, but it is an early step for all people that are following Jesus Christ. An outward display of what has already taken place in your life. And then number five, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Oh, we, 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 need to know, we need to know the truth of the word of God. We need to know who we are in Christ, that we are united with Jesus, that we have died, we've been raised with Christ, that our very natures are different. We need to know something that we've been adopted as sons, that our position is forgiven, accepted, loved children of God. We need to know that we're not under, we are, sorry, we are not under law, but we are under grace. That the unmerited favour of God floods into our lives. We need, to be, we need to know that we're people of the Spirit. We're immersed, filled, refilled with the Holy Spirit. He is at work in changing us, empowering us, distributing spiritual gifts, opening up the Bible, helping us to pray, helping and drawing us into worship. If you struggle to worship Jesus, can I ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit helps us to worship Jesus. If you struggle to pray, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? He helps us to pray. If you find the Bible boring and irrelevant and you're a Christian, you know, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Can I ask you to search, are you filled with him? And I just say, you don't have to say much. You just say, Holy Spirit, I don't know if I'm filled with you or not, but please would you come and fill me right now? And I found that I, when I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I found a new energy in life in worship. I felt a, a new energy in prayer. And I felt a fresh understanding and hunger for the Word of God. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come and help you in those things. It's not all he does, but they are some of the things. And it's really provoking, actually, because Jesus says this. Uh, Jesus says this. He says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. He didn't say, teach them to learn everything I've commanded you. He says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. You see, as a dad of four boys, I really want them to be well taught, but I want them to be taught to obey, not just taught to learn. If, if my sons come to me and say, well, no, no, dad, I, we knew you didn't like that, but we've done it anyway... That doesn't go down so well, if I'm totally honest. Jesus didn't want to teach us a whole load of stuff so we grew in our understanding. We were taught to obey. Can you see there is a difference? We're, we're, we're putting it 
into practice. Jesus says this, if you abide in my word, if you live in it, you are truly my disciples. That's provoking, isn't it? Just, just that little phrase. If you live in my word, you make your home in my word, you are truly my disciples. And then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We, we like the second bit, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, without putting into practice the first bit, which is abiding in Christ, in allowing the word of God to penetrate our hearts, go deeper in us. And then lastly, number six, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. No one who goes as a disciple, no one who goes in making disciples does it on their own. They do it under the unction and the anointing of God. They do it in his authority. God promises that he will be actively involved in our lives on a day-by-day basis. God promises that he will walk alongside us and, and at times discipline us because we are sons and daughters of the living God. He will bring his fatherly discipline to us. As a parent, one of our roles and responsibilities is to raise our children so they understand right from wrong. A role of a parent is not to raise a child for them to find out for themselves. A a role of a parent is to explain right from wrong. Don't, my son, don't do this because that's foolishness. If you go that way, that will end in destruction to you. No, no, my son, go this way. That's Proverbs, that's, that's, that's wisdom. I think maybe there's something within our culture that says, well, I'm going to try and be my child's best friend. No, no, you're not called to be their best friend. You're called to be their parent. You're called to raise them in the fear of God. You're called to instruct them and direct them and love them and bring discipline and safe boundaries to them, which is exactly what God does to us. And often he used circumstances and difficulties to shape and mould our characters. If only we are looking to our father to say, Father, what are you doing? Help me to grow in the middle of it. Oh, this is so hard. I mean, I'll be honest with you. For the hour before this meeting started, this was a moment of God's discipline in my life. Because everything went wrong. The heating that I've promised you for the last six weeks was not working, although I had it written in blood from the builder, that it would be. The PA wouldn't come on, we couldn't get microphones. All you nearly had was Nick Beanie playing guitar and Simon on drums. That would be it, and we can sing our own spiritual psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. And in my heart, I'm dealing with frustration and anxiety and nervousness and anger and God, where are you in this? And I know you're all sat there thinking, oh dear, we didn't know all that was going on in our pastor's heart. Oh, you don't know the worst of it, I tell you. (laughs) And I know for lots of you just came in and it all seemed to work quite well. You thought, hey, what was the problem, Paul? Why did you worry? God, God uses the disciplines. God uses the circumstances of life to discipline our hearts, doesn't he? 
How, how do Paul, how do you respond in the middle of that? Sometimes well, sometimes badly. And then the Holy Spirit. He doesn't leave us as orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us forever. Do you know the Holy Spirit is here right now? Do you know if you're a Christian here today, the Holy Spirit lives within you? Do you know that we are living stones built together to become a dwelling place where God will live by his Spirit? When it comes to being a disciple and making disciples, we're not left on our own. The Holy Spirit is here to help us. Can I ask you to stand, please? And can I invite the band back up, please? Brian, can you just come up and share what you had at the prayer meeting? We have a 7 a.m. prayer meeting every other Sunday morning. Um, They're normally absolutely brilliant. This morning was really, really good. Um, Brian just had a reading from the message, and I think I want him to read it to you, because I think this is what this preach series is all about. And the reason I want Brian to do it and not me is because Brian's got a prophetic gifting, and he brought it without really knowing what was going on. And I believe that as he reads this out, if you've got open and receptive hearts, I think the same God wants to do in our hearts even as he reads this. This came with a, a picture of, you know, when the army lines up and they hold, hold their swords out and the king comes along and just clashes each sword and kind of um, commits them to what they're about to do. Uh, so it says... Here's what I want you to do. God helping you, take, ev- take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I've Embracing what you God all, does for so you're all is alive. the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Do you want me to pray? Yeah, Father, I just, I thank you for this. I thank you that you are commissioning us this very day. Uh, with this short preach series, um, because your heart is for people. Your heart is to bring in the lost. Your heart is to build your church and save the lost. And Lord, I thank you that today you're doing something in us. You're doing something in our spirit, Lord. And I pray we get hold of this message from heaven. And I pray that you um, give us the ability to take hold of you to know your heart and to bring that heart to the people around us, to be kind, to be loving, to be gracious. In Jesus' name, amen. Just before we worship, why don't you just spend a few moments now just doing business with God. It might be that you don't know Jesus here today and you want to, in your own words, commit your life to following him. It might be that you're aware that you've been swimming with the culture 
and it's just an area where the Holy Spirit's highlighted to you, that's not how it's to be anymore. For others of you, we focus mainly on being a disciple, but actually that whole passage is going to make disciples. And God's going to even place on your mind right now someone to get alongside to help them grow as a follower of Jesus. So just raise your hands where you are right now. I do invite you to come, Holy Spirit. Lord, would you take what's been said and, Lord, we're, we're just relevant. Lord God, would you highlight the things in our own lives where we need to respond. We look to you. We love you so much, Jesus. We're so grateful you would die for us. So grateful that you'd call us to be followers of you. We say with all our hearts we want to do it as well as we can under the anointing of your spirit in the authority that you've given us. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us right now, we pray. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Why don't we use this to uh, commit ourselves to him?